Hey, everybody. I'm Tom G. from Fort Myers, Florida. Welcome to today's Daily Reflection Podcast. Until I was trying to control it and before I questioned there was a problem, there was no problem. I just drank, I blacked out, I passed out, no big deal. But once I got an inkling that maybe I should try to control it, that's when the real misery started. And so if I'm grateful for this life I've been given, for freedom from alcohol, freedom from fear, for this 12-step program that I didn't have to figure out, what am I doing about it? But beyond that, you know, I keep showing up at meetings. You know, that's, that's the way I can express my gratitude. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. On this show, we try to bring some inspiration through interviews with members of the recovery community. We are not affiliated with any 12-step program, but you might hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Today on the show, Tom G. from Fort Myers, Florida. Before we get to the show, we'd love your help. We're trying to expand the reach of our podcast, and you can help us do that by providing a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast network you're listening on. If you're listening on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Let us know what you think. Greatly appreciate that. We hope you enjoy this episode. So today is April 7th, and we've got Tom G. from Fort Myers, Florida in the house, and he is here to talk to us on today's Daily Reflection which is a wide arc of gratitude. Fantastic. Well, Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Lee. Well, we get started in the same way every day, Tom. We ask the guest if they would start us off by reading the Daily Reflection for the day. Could you help us get started? I'd be happy to. Um, Today's Daily Reflection, April 7th, a wide arc of gratitude. In speaking for Dr. Bob and myself, I gratefully declare that it had not been for our wives, Ann and Lois, neither of us could have lived to see AA's beginning. And that's from the AA Way of Life, page 67. Am I capable of such generous tribute and gratitude to my wife, parents, and friends, without whose support I might never have survived to reach AA's doors? I will work on this and try to see the plan my higher power is showing me, which links our lives together. What are your thoughts on that, Tom? Thanks for reading, by the way. Oh, and before we get started, what's your sobriety date? Oh, I've been, uh, I get um, sober on October 12th, 2002. Italian guy in the middle of uh, Columbus Day weekend. Who knew? Oh, that's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) That must have been a serious case of desperation. (laughs) I was struck sober. It was not a plan. (laughs) Okay. So as you read the daily reflection, what do you, what pops into your mind first? What came to mind when uh, when I was offered to actually do the reflection on this day, April 7th, that is the day before I walked into my first 12th step meeting, uh, which was on April 8th. What a, uh, what a wide arc it is, right? Um, I actually came in through the back door, as a lot of us say, through Al-Anon meetings. And I've been drinking uh, pretty heavily now for, you know, probably about two years You know, I didn't really start drinking until my very late 20s, almost 30 years old, uh, drinking heavily. And, uh, you know, walked into my first uh, Al-Anon meeting because it was everybody else's fault, (laughs) you know. And, you know, so so that's what that's what came up for me initially when 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 looking at the day and and looking at this, uh, talking about, um, you know, the the wives and and, and it makes reference to the uh, the Al-Anoners, you know, Ann and Lois. Tell me about your wife, your parents, your friends, and their role in you getting sober. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I come from a uh, from, from a family where there's a long lineage of alcoholics in the in the men in my past. 
you know um you know my father i i grew up most of my life not not knowing him you know i remember him from when i was little but he would come in and out of our lives as as active alcoholics i often do you know, it wasn't really uh until i was about two years sober uh, it was the first time i saw him as an adult you know i, I went and with the help of um some friends in law enforcement went and found out where it was and, and sought him out. How it happened for me is, is really, there was nobody left to point the finger at. Um, you know, I was divorced at, you know, part-time custody of my son. And the way I was living my life as an active alcoholic, there was just nobody left to, to point the finger at. You know, my father wasn't in my life. My ex-wife wasn't in my life. And the, and the people around me, you know, I came from a really loving family, a mom that worked two jobs to try to, um, you know, keep food on the table, uh, a stepfather who, who um, was divorced from that mother, um, but still raised me as if I was his own, um, loving sister, loving, loving friends, loving brother. I, I had nobody to blame but myself. And after going to, I, I think, enough Al-Anon meetings, I... Uh, it occurred to me that if something was going to change, it was going to have to. Uh, it was going to have to be me. I won a uh, at an Al-Anon meeting a, a raffle tape of um, of a uh, of a speaker. Uh, you know, it's, it's like a like a one act play or something. You, maybe you've heard it, and it's allegedly Bill Wilson telling his story from the Big Book. And I won that cassette tape. So it was a while back. It was a cassette. It wasn't a DVD. <laughs> I identified with it. You know, and I might not be the brightest guy, but I was smart enough to know that if uh, if I was feeling like Bill, maybe I've got a problem I should look at. And from that moment until when I took my last drink about a year and a half after that was just misery. You know, trying to, for the first time, control my alcoholism until I was trying to control it. And before I questioned there was a problem, there was no problem. I just drank. I blacked out. I passed out. No big deal. But once I got an inkling that that maybe I should try to control it. That's when the real misery started. When you got into AA for real, I guess, when you made that commitment to come in with the intention, I guess, of not picking up a drink, Mm -hmm. at least for one day, what was that like? Did you meet a sponsor right away? When I came into AA, you know, at this point, I was sober for about five days and I was just going day to day not knowing if I was going to stay sober, um, not knowing if I wanted to stay sober, just kind of like giving this thing a try. So finally, you know, I had my last drink on a, on a Friday night. I crawled into my first meeting on like a, on a Thursday night. It was, they had a, they had a one, two, three, uh, newcomers, uh, beginners meeting. And I, uh, I just stuck up my hand when they said, is, you know, anybody new, I stuck up my hand, I said, my name's Tom. I'm having a problem with booze. They said, come get a chip. I didn't know I was an alcoholic. You know, for me, an alcoholic abandoned his family, you know, lost his license, you know, all that, all that textbook stuff, these notions that we have when we get here. I just, um, I just couldn't stop drinking, you know, Um, and I knew that booze was a problem, but I did not identify myself as an alcoholic, but I had step one down. Powerless over booze, my life's unmanageable. I was clear on that. You know, and from that, you know, it says in the book, it says that God doesn't make too hot of terms. You know, from there, I was able to make a beginning. In the in the beginning, it's like, you know, I'm I'm picking up like every fifth word people are saying in meetings. Like, 
you know, my head's foggy. You guys are speaking another language. I don't know what's going on, man. I just know that you guys are staying sober. I cannot. And I've heard that this is the place to come, you know? So, uh, so, so I came here and little by little, as I understood more, I was able to do more. You know, I got a sponsor, I think probably about two months in, I got a sponsor with somebody who was, uh, you know, what we call a double winner, you know, so, so I knew him, I respected him greatly. Um, and I asked him to, uh, I asked him to sponsor me, you know, and he said, uh, you know, so, you know, took me off for coffee and, you know, kind of asked me where I was at and stuff like that. And I don't really remember much of the conversation uh, other than he, you know, he told me that I should start asking for help. So I did that immediately. I started asking my mother to babysit so I could go to more meetings. I thought that was asking for help. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, you know, I'm still just going day to day, white knuckling it on weekends. You know, there's a lot of meetings where I get sober. Um, you could you could go to five or six meetings on a Saturday. There were that many of them. And I would because I was going from meeting to meeting, just getting relief. Certainly it was not freedom. It was just relief. You know, I, I'd leave the meeting and then um, I'm a raw nerve. You know, the world just keeps hitting me in the face and I'm just hang, barely hanging on. And I share this with my sponsor. She says, by asking for help, I meant to get down on your knees and ask whatever God you believe in to keep you sober for the day. And as a courtesy, at the end of the day, I get back on you and say, thank you. I said, oh, that's what you mean. <laughs> so, uh, so I started doing that. And, um, you know, almost immediately that, that constant gnawing obsession that says every minute I'm awake that I should be drinking left, you know, I, I don't want to like, you know, make it sound like it was like uh, some white light moment for me because it, because it wasn't that. And I wouldn't say that I never entertained the thought of a drink again, but that, that constant aching for it was gone right away. And with a short amount of time, I'd say it was like almost completely gone. Now I went to a lot of meetings, um, and, uh, you know, meetings were my higher power. You know, I was, uh, I was born, uh, or I should say raised, I guess born would be accurate, uh, R Roman Catholic, um, you know, all the boy, the, the whole nine yards. So I didn't, I didn't come in like as a uh, atheist or agnostic. Um, you know, my, my, my idea of a higher power has changed a lot since childhood. And I wouldn't say it's changed a lot since coming here. You know, changed a lot in my early, early adulthood. But if you would ask me three months sober, six months sober, probably a year sober, you know, what is the higher power that's keeping me sober? I would have told you it's it's God. And, you know, it's, it's the guy it's the guy up in heaven, you know, or, or whatever my, how I would describe that notion. Um, but as I look back at it now, it was a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. But, but by and large, that was the, that was my higher power for a long time. It wasn't until, you know, several years in when I got desperate enough to want to change who I was fundamentally. And I knew that that would have to happen through the steps that I was able to like form a relationship with a higher power. And, and it's that relationship now that keeps me sober and gets me through the tough times. Going back to the daily reflection and it talks about gratitude and I think it was your initial sponsor that gave you the direction to find gratitude for your sobriety. And I'm just wondering how that gratitude manifested for you early on in sobriety. What other things did you begin to feel grateful for? 
Well, I, I felt, uh, you know, a, a real, um, a real gratitude for the, uh, for the family I was fortunate enough to be born into to, to think that, you know, I could be, uh, you know, abandoned the whole family was by, by, by my father because of, you know, the sickness that he suffered with alcoholism and that another man could step in and do that job. And, you know, in the, you know, 45 plus years that he's been my dad, he's never made me feel like I was any less of his son than, than his natural son that he ended up having with my mom, my brother, George. I can't, I can't describe the gratitude to have, to be loved like that, to be loved how I've been loved by my siblings and my mom. But, the, you know, that does kind of like stand out, you know, because he didn't have to. He made a, a choice and has lived up to that, uh, to that promise for, for decades and decades. And we used to have an old timer. He, he died a few years back. He was, you know, I think almost 60 years sober when he died. And uh, Bob Mack would say, gratitude is an action word. And so if I'm grateful for this life I've been given, for freedom from alcohol, freedom from fear, for this 12-step program that I didn't have to figure out, what am I doing about it? I have this life that is like beyond phenomenal with the relationship I have with my wife, with my, with, with my children. And, you know, why do I have this? I, you know, I try not to forget it for a moment. I have this life because some man that didn't know me, my sponsor that took me through the steps, um, who didn't really know me, loved me enough to, sh- to share with me what happened to him, you know, and to take me through the book. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's the, uh, that, that's the promise that I signed on for in step three. I didn't know it, but, you know, the promise I signed on for in step three was that, you know, I was going to um, avail myself to be helpful to other people who might be suffering from this thing. And how am I going to do it? You know, it leads right into step four, you know, what is God's will for me? pick up a pen, (laughs) start writing, you know, start writing that fourth step. You know, the book tells us that the purpose of the fourth step is to discover the causes and conditions, but really the blocks to a connection with our higher power. And so obviously we don't want you to share your fourth step with us, but, but just sort of in a general way, what were some of the things that you discovered about yourself that you may not have known before you even came into the program? Probably the same things that are in in your fourth steps too. You know, I, you know, I've been around uh, long enough and and tried to help enough uh, n- enough other people and been in enough meetings to know that we're we're all the same. Uh, selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and afraid. You know, and, and I'm all that in ways that I never ever would have imagined. Years and years of, th- of therapy alone wouldn't have uncovered it. Me sitting in a room by myself, me watching TV, <laughs> me sitting in meetings, none of that gets down and uncovers that. You know, um, the way that the uh, the fourth step is, uh, you know, is is devised with the, with the four columns. It's ingenious. You know, I, I can't help but think that it's, you know, certainly, uh, you know, divinely inspired, you know, to to get me to just start making a grudge list. You know, about these are these are the people that have. Uh, that I'm, that I'm resentful at, and then to take a look at, well, what specifically did they do and how does that affect me and what area is my life? You know, because before it was like, no, I'm just mad at them. You know, they did this, they did that. It's like my, my self-esteem, my pride, I could not identify that. You know, it's, it's all in the fourth column. You know, what is the part I played? You know, it was astounding to me 
that over and over and over, you know, the, the dishonesty is a lie I'm telling myself. You know, I've been in a relationship with this person for 25 years. It's always been this way. And yet I put myself in that situation with this person again. And I think this time's going to be different. Who's the fool? <laughs> you know, uh, the, 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 ways I, the ways I would lie to myself, you know, or the difference between selfishness and self-seeking. You know, I had no idea that the selfishness was the way I acted. I mean, in the way I thought and the self-seeking was what I did to try to get my way. Never, ever would have been able to figure that out. And because I've been through that process, you know, um, not only is it like you said, Lee, it's like, you know, removing the blocks, you know, so what's the block? It's me. I need less Tom, more God, <laughs> less Tom, more God. It's not, it's not a uh, case as, as Earl, my, my buddy Earl H says, it's, it's about emptying out, you know, emptying out to make room for the good. And that's what the fourth step process did for me. And it gives me a, a blueprint to continue to, to take my inventory and be able to figure out when something just isn't sitting right in my gut, you know, it's like, well, I can take a look at what my role is, you know, and it does not matter how the, the injury <laughs> came to be, you know, how somebody has, uh, you know, picked on me unfairly, it doesn't matter. I play a part, you know, I may not be able to control outside circumstances, but I've got a shot through inventory to take a look at the, um, the situation and, and, and perhaps choose how to respond. I view the program of, of AA as kind of a blueprint for how to live a really successful life, specifically around relationships. And yeah, I mean, I stay sober as, as a direct result of working the program into my life. And, but the fourth step is, is pivotal. It's when the gears shifted for me in my recovery. I'm curious. I know that we have listeners that may not be even in the program yet. How might you describe the fourth step to someone that's not even maybe even wrapping their mind around the first or second steps? You know, that, that's kind of tough. You know, I know that when I'm working with somebody and um, we might be, uh, you know, ramping up towards it, I think it's um, really important that you have a, a good foundation with steps one, two, and three. If you don't know that you're powerless over booze or that your life's unmanageable, I don't think you really have much of a shot at doing a, an accurate and fair appraisal of yourself. So, you know, w w without the previous steps, I don't think one could really um, make a fair run at it. But having said that, I know where I struggled was more often than not when I was struggling with step four, it's because I was nervous about step five. You know, step four, it, it is exactly what it says. It's a fearless moral inventory. And for me, what that meant is I needn't be afraid of what it's going to uncover. I'm not out there sharing it with the world. You know, it's a, it's in a draw. My wife knows where it is. She's in the program. She could come look at it if she wants. She knows what's in it anyways. Um, but, you know, I, I use that as a tool when I'm working with somebody else. I'll open it up and, and share it with them. Um, you know, there's not anything that um, that I needed to be afraid of exposing in there. And if I'm if I'm even going to like bother showing up at a meeting and even make an attempt at it, I, I believe when it says that half measures avail us nothing, I'm either all in or I'm not in at all. So if I'm not in all the way, why bother at all? You know, but, um, you know, I I would say, you know, if if this is the uh, if this is what you're looking to do, if you're looking to 
to, to have your life change fundamentally. And, and that's maybe not even have anything to do with the drink. You know, I was not afraid of, um, of picking up a drink. That's not why I sat on my forceps. I was afraid of continuing to live my life like a selfish jerk um, that I had been doing a couple years into sobriety. That's what forced me in, into the steps. But I'd say, um, you know, you just make your, your, your best, honest approach at step four. You know, it's, it's not a thinking exercise. It's a writing exercise. It's real simple. You know, there's a, there's a blueprint in the book. Get a notebook, draw your four columns, start listing names. You know, uh, we write down <laughs> and we'll read it across. You know, um, you know, don't don't jump ahead to the uh, to the to the fourth uh, column when you're not done with your your first column yet. You know, and if if you follow the process with the help of a sponsor, which was pivotal. Without the help of a sponsor, I couldn't have uh, I couldn't have figured this out. You know, you know, maybe I could have read the book like you know some remote guy in 1941 would have had to do when there were no meetings around but you know fortunately that's uh that's not the case for me you know i had pl plenty of help plenty of direction i love that and i love what you said about if you don't have a grip on one two and three it's really hard to go to four but we don't have to go to four until we've right. done one two and three so that's the cool right. part and and we don't have to do it alone either so i I love that you shared that. As we start moving towards the the conclusion of this interview, I'm curious two things. Like one is is what advice do you have, you know, for somebody who's not necessarily about the fourth step, but just somebody who's sitting here, you know, we, we get to reach a lot of people that aren't necessarily in the rooms of AA yet. That's one of the beautiful things of the podcast. And, you know, if people are listening and they're they're thinking maybe they do have a problem or, you know, maybe they're brand new and they're just kind of feeling it out, what advice do you have? for them, the newcomer or the potential newcomer? It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit tricky in this, you know, pandemic era we find ourselves in where, um, you know, meetings aren't as accessible as they, uh, as they were when a lot of us came into the program and, and got sober. If you're kicking the tires and, and thinking that, um, that, you know, you've, you've had enough of living this, uh, living this alcoholic life, living this uh, life as a hard drinker, and you think that you may need a, uh, you know, a fellowship and a 12-step program to give you a, you know, way up and out, go to meetings, you know, try, try different meetings, you know, not all meetings have the same, uh, you know, flavor, if you will. I know up north, I'm a, I'm a big book step study guy. I go to a lot of meetings like that. In the beginning, I went to a lot of open speaker meetings, which were really nice. You know, I could sneak in the back late, sneak out the back early. You know, nobody was really asking anything of me. There's, uh, there's women's meetings, there's, there's ladies' meetings, there's gay meetings, there's, I mean, you name it. Um, there's a meeting out there, so try, try lots of them. If you've got the courage to go up to somebody like after you've heard them speak and just start a conversation with them, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, I think we hear what we need to hear when we're ready to hear it. I think that, uh, you know, a higher power puts us in places where we're able to receive that message. So if you hear somebody, uh, you know, kind of telling like a little bit of your story or something you can really identify, which happened to me on an audio cassette from somebody that's been dead for quite some time, um, you know, re re reach out to that person. You know, anybody who's in AA sober at one point came crawling in, lashed by alcohol. We may look like we've got it all together and all figured out, but we're really, we're, um, 
we're all just like helping each other here. You know, if you're here long enough, you'll see that we, we just take turns leaning on each other. That's what we do. I came in here beaten up by booze. Somebody showed me what they do, what they, what they did to, to get up and out. But beyond that, you know, I keep showing up at meetings. You know, that's, that's the way I can express my gratitude. You know, if people had stopped going to meetings um, because they had gotten sober and put their life back together, there would have been nobody there for me. That's what I think. You just just keep showing up at meetings, and, and you'll hear the right thing, and you'll and you'll you'll meet the right people, and just kind of you know trust your gut and, and go with it. You know, I think God gave all of us that that uh, that intuitive sense to um, to know kind of know what the next right thing to do is. You know, and if you if you're showing up at an AA meeting, odds are you're, you're following your gut and doing the right thing. That's the twelfth step. Well, Tom, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. This has been a wonderful conversation. It was awesome uh, spending some time with you. Uh, I was like really, really nervous about this. You guys made it uh, really easy in a, in, a, in a fun conversation. And I hope you. Uh, I hope there's something in there that you can use. I don't know, man. Oh my gosh, so <laughs> much. Awesome, so wonderful. Thanks for stepping up, Tom. Thanks so much to Tom for stopping by. And thanks to you, the listeners. Truly appreciate your support. If you want to join us online, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. If you want to read about recovery, you can find our blog at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.